Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Uh, throughout its existence and the lead up and uh, uh, sowing into it, praying for you guys and just incredible to see what God is doing in this incredible community. Uh, as mentioned, I'm part of Centerpoint Church uh, and, uh, and I just want to let you know that we are influenced by what God is doing in this community. Uh, the way that you do connect groups, the way that you reach community, the way that you go into universities, it really inspires and uh, sharpens so many churches around that, uh, around you. Uh, and Centerpoint is just one of those expressions and what God is doing is extraordinary. I'd like to introduce my wife, Dora, for those that uh, haven't met before, um, and wonderful to have her and my two kids that are with us today, who are running a muck, no doubt, in the kids' ministry, uh, and so, yeah, it's great to be here today. Hey, I want to get straight into the works. I believe that God is wanting to speak uh, into every single situation, into every single heart this morning, so would you connect your heart in this moment? Jesus, we thank you for this word that you are breathing upon. And Father, we ask that you would uh, bring it to life and apply that into every situation. Father, we pray for those that are going through the valley at the moment. We pray that this word would bring comfort and would bring hope and would bring strength and would bring life. We pray for those that are in the plateau stage of life and, and things are just tracking along. We, Father, we just pray that this word would elevate and uh, God would inspire to, to run further, to go and believe for all that you have. And, Father, for those that are on the mountaintops, Father, we thank you that this word is equally applicable. And, Father, we just ask that you continue to build momentum and life and strength. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's be honest. I know when you are introducing each other, all of that, who here has set a New Year's resolution? Come on, be honest. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up if now the first Sunday of February you've kept it. Well done. I think these guys deserve a round of applause. Well done, well done. There is a statistical probability that one would not keep their New Year's resolution, uh, even up after four weeks of setting it. And uh, I've actually come up with a way to bypass it. The way to keep your New Year's resolution is that you start it on the 1st of February. This is my thinking behind it. I don't know about you, but Christmas time is chaotic for the Hammer family. We go through church events and we've got family events. And we're just going from one meal to the other to another. It's fantastic food, uh, particularly my parents-in-law food. I'm not sure they're, they're at the back. Uh, their food is just amazing. Uh, but, you know, we go through all of that and then we go camping at the end of that whole period. We've got our son's uh, birthday in the middle of that Christmas New Year period. We get to New Year's. We celebrate New Year's Eve along with Sydney at 9 o'clock and go straight to bed after that because we're wiped out and then we realize you know we wake up first hours early hours of the first of january and think oh we should probably should have set our new year's resolutions but by delaying it for a month it gives you an edge on people one is that you can think about your new year's resolution uh when you've got a bit of time to process and think about what's going to be applicable what's going to work for my uh, life for this year and what's god speaking to me about Secondly, is that you get to come to a service like this and ask who here has kept their New Year's resolution, apart from our two faithful people in the third row, uh, you can actually have an edge over everyone else. Ignore the fact that you're only four days into it. Uh, you've actually got your New Year's resolution ahead of you. So, I'm giving you permission 
to start afresh. A New Year's resolution can start today, 4th of February. But then the tricky thing is you've got to actually determine what is going to be my New Year's resolution. How do I determine what it is? And I believe that you've heard from Pastor Nate uh, and Pastor Beck and the team a fantastic um, message about beyond zero, about uh, not just settling for baseline, but really going for all that God has put in, uh, uh, in store for you, for your life, for this year. And I love that message. Uh, this message actually fits into that because it becomes uh, the trigger point to actually making that happen. But imagine if you could just choose one resolution. Now, I know it's hard to choose, you know, get fitter, uh, do better with your finances, work on your marriage, work on your family, take a new job, stay in your same job, uh, do further study, don't do further study, whatever it is that you're, that you're thinking about weighing up. Imagine if there was one resolution that could give you contentment in life. One resolution that could underpin every area of your life. One resolution that could lead to extreme levels of joy and contentment, courage and resilience in every challenge, a greater sense of purpose and direction, simplicity in the complexity of life, financial security, relational security, fearlessness, unbelievable levels of personal confidence, a better you and a better life. One resolution. Would you take it? Yeah, I think we would all go for it, right? It sounds too good to be true. Um, actually, the truth is that it is that simple. Not that easy, but it is that simple. And one resolution, and it's simply this. Trust God. Don't you know, but say, trust God. I know. You kind of think, well, trust God is usually what someone will say to me. You know, when I, when I text them or when I have a phone call with someone and you're telling them that, you know, everything in my life is just so struggle uh, street at the moment. You know, I've got challenges with my finances and my relationship is in tension and there's this area of, of, uh, of challenge in this area of my life and, and, and I'm trying to pull everything together and there's crisis and I don't know what to do. And then they reply back with you with a uh, simple text message that says, trust God, smiley face emoji. And you think, ah, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> it's true. I get it. It's simple, but it's not easy. But actually, if we can delve into it, we can unpack what does it mean to trust God? And how does that apply to every sphere of life, every season of life? And you will go through valley seasons. And you will go through mountaintop experiences, those high points in life. And you will go through the plateau that goes right through the middle of that as well. And this message, this truth, underpins every part of your life and in every season is applicable. How do we know this? Because in Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6, yes, we've got some Bible here, uh, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. We're going to revisit that in a moment. But before we do, we're going to go back in time 11 years. And it was 11 years ago uh, that I had my Bucks Night. And uh, if you've ever had a Bucks Night, um, you would know that it's probably the greatest sense of losing control. You have no control over the situation. You are surrendering your will, surrendering your desires, surrendering uh, your ability to, uh, to plan and project into the future because you have no idea what is going to happen on that night. And such was the case for me. Now, it actually started off pretty well and I was quite intimidated and quite terrified leading up to it because the person that I'd chosen to be the best man for my wedding and also running the Bucks night was known as a daredevil. In fact, he was the craziest person 
person that I knew, uh, did all sorts of stunts and, and really nothing intimidated him at all. And, uh, and, and so I was a little bit apprehensive about what was going to happen. And it started off pretty low-key and pretty good. Like, we had about 20, 25 guys. We went down to Point Walter and Bicton, had a barbecue, kicked the footy around, the soccer ball around, and everything was going pretty well. And then we got in the car, and that's when my uh, tension levels started to increase and my heart started to beat a little bit faster. We drove into Fremantle. I didn't have to wear a dress. I didn't have to uh, go through any of the things that some of the uh, other Bucks Knights that I've heard about have had to go through. I was pretty... Uh, happy about that. Went to time zone, uh, had a great time in Frio. Again, no challenge. Everything was going pretty well. And then we start driving back to where our cars were parked because we'd carpooled from Point Walter and we're on our way back there. And uh, as we get close to where we parked, we just take this little detour and I'm brought to a place that I was unfortunately familiar with. It's called Blackies or Blackwall Reach. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay, for those that don't, let me fill you in. Blackwall Reach, it's a part of the Swan River uh, between, uh, quite close to Point Walter, uh, East Fremantle type area, and there are cliffs that go straight down into the water. Uh, those cliffs are about 7 to 11 metres, and, uh, and, and it's, it's quite a scary thing to actually jump from there. There have been deaths from there, there have been uh, major injuries from there. In fact, I was speaking and sharing this story recently, and someone said, I actually jumped from that place uh, landed on my throat. My esophagus uh, was actually damaged and it was a real life-threatening situation, raced to hospital. So this is a pretty dangerous sort of place. Anyways, I am brought to the edge of Blackies and I'm told that my only dare, my only challenge, which I don't have a choice whether I'm going to do it or not, is that I've got to jump off Blackies around about midnight on a night that has no moon at, at all. It was pitch black and I had a little peek over the edge to see what was down there and all you could see was a black abyss. There was no hope, there was nothing down there, I couldn't see how far it was down there, I had no idea what I was going to do and I said guys my biggest fear is heights so we're going to have to find something else uh, to which they said no. And I finally, after much negotiation, back and forth, back and forth, how can we get around this? I finally relented and I said, okay, I'm going to do this jump under two conditions. Number one is that I need to see how far it is down there. So someone has got to shine their light all the way down so I can see. And secondly, I need someone to jump with me because I don't want to do this alone. If I get to the bottom and I get stuck, I want someone that can pull me out straight away. And so they finally agreed and I had one person standing next to me, someone else shining the light. But my heart was pumping and I didn't think that I could do it. You know when you have your heart pumping so loud that you can hear it in your ears and there's people that are talking and it's all muffled sound because all you hear is boom, 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 boom. I remember looking down and thinking, I don't think I can do this. I'm going to tell you at the end how that story finishes, but I want you to hold that picture in your mind as we continue this sermon because it is a great picture of trust, of surrender, of letting go. What does it mean to trust God? Well, does it mean that we trust that God is going to fulfill our every prayer? Does it mean that when we pray to God and we give our lists in the mornings of the things that we're believing God for, that God is going to come through on every single one? Well, to have such a trust in God is actually not to trust God. It is to hope that God is a genie and hope that if you can you know, rub the lantern the right way, that the genie will pop out and fulfill your every wish. Every wish is my command. However, we don't find that God is a genie. But the flip side is sometimes that we think God uh, doesn't really want to answer our prayers. 
He feels like it's deaf ears. Every time we pray, it just uh, ends on deaf ears and God's not really listening. And what's the point of even praying? I mean, he's a sovereign God. He's got his plan. He's got his will. What's the point of praying? He's already de decided whether or not he's going to answer my prayer. So there's no point actually praying. But the problem with that is that if we see God with those eyes, then we have God as a dictator. And we know from the reading of Scripture that our God is not a dictator, and nor is He a genie. He is God Almighty, and yet He is incredibly personable. Our God is one that can be best described as a father. Now, I'm going to speak to you just for a moment uh, with a disclaimer. There are some people in a room like this, I've got no doubt, that would have poor examples of what a loving, engaged, personal, caring father actually looks like. And I'm going to ask you with great humility and great grace, and I, I have to say I have got a great father um, who has set a great precedent in my life, and so uh, I, I want to speak to those that haven't had such a great example. You've got a filter of how you see fathers. And I'm going to ask with great grace that you actually put that filter aside for the day and try and picture the father that is described in the Bible. Because if we can see God with unfiltered eyes, it's going to help us to actually understand this whole point of what trust is. So what is trust? Well, let's ask Charles Feltman. He is the author of the book, The Thin Book of Trust. He's spent the last 30, 35 years studying trust. I don't know how you can study one topic like that with such intensity for that amount of time, but he has, and he has come up with a definition of trust. So I think he's a pretty good reference point. He says that trust is choosing to make something important to you vulnerable to someone else. Listen to that again. Trust is choosing to make something important to you vulnerable to someone else. And he goes on to say, when you trust someone, whether you make what's vulnerable, uh, can range from things like concrete things, money, a job, a promotion, a particular goal, or it could be less tangible things like a belief you hold, a cherished way of doing things, or your good name, or your sense of happiness or well-being. But whether you extend trust more easily or less easily, you do so by assessing whether that person is trustworthy. In effect, to trust or distrust, he describes, is a process of risk assessment. Okay, quick question. Anyone here have to work with risk assessments in their jobs? Raise your hands high. Okay. The rest of you consider yourself blessed. I have to work with risk assessments uh, on a very regular basis, and we have work health and safety team meetings, and we discuss work health and safety at staff meetings, and Rachel Kemp can vouch for that, and then we have a risk assessment register, we have risk assessment matrix, everything that we do we have to make sure is compliant. It's not an exciting topic, but it is an important one. Basically what a risk assessment is, what's the likelihood of something going to happen? or not happen, and what is the damage that's going to be inflicted if that thing does or doesn't happen. Now, you might think that you don't have to work with risk assessments, but I beg to differ. Every relationship that you go into, you are doing a risk assessment. That's not true, Pastor Peter. I would never judge my husband. I'd never judge my, my spouse. I'd never judge my friend. I wouldn't do that. Well, you do. And what you're doing is you're working out, can... I trust them. Can I put something that is valuable, my heart, my secrets, my emotions, the unspoken things, the desires of my heart, can I trust that with this person to hold confidence 
to speak wisdom and to do what is best in that situation. Today, we're talking about trusting God. So we're going to do a risk assessment on God. Can we do that? Look, so far, I've preached this a couple of times and there's no lightning that has struck from heaven. I'm knowing God to be pretty secure sort of a being. So we're going to go there today. Is that okay? Okay, when uh, we are employing someone at Centerpoint Church, and I'm sure the same thing in, in your workplace, uh, there is a pretty... Uh, there's a pretty rigorous process to actually get a job. Uh, I know with Centerpoint, we pray about a person, we will check their resume, we will do reference checks, we will bounce the, uh, that person uh, and their, their, their character of other people that in, in church that know them, can we trust this person? Basically, what we're trying to do is we're rigorously going through a process of working out whether this person has three key attributes. The first thing we're trying to work out is do they have character? Do they have integrity? Do they have the character to be able to sustain this job? So now let's apply that to God. Does God have character? Well, we see all through Scripture, through the great men and women of faith, right through from Genesis through to Revelation, that God is faithful, that God is true to every promise that He has decreed. He is good. He is present in every situation. He is forgiving when He could choose to be condemning. He is compassionate when He could choose to be harsh. He is a no-nonsense type of God. He doesn't muck around. He is a truthful God. He is a patient God. He is a loving God. And he is a kind God. I'd like to suggest that God's character is going to hold up this test. What's the second thing we look for? We look for someone that is competent. It's all good having someone that's good-hearted. But we want to know that someone actually can do the job. When we employed Rachel Kemp as our bookkeeper at Centerpoint Church, we wanted to know that she could work with numbers, that she could count, that she could use Excel or a calculator or a, an accounting package. And yes, she can, and she does a, an amazing, amazing job. We've missed her while she's been away uh, overseas. But you know, we're, we're looking for, can the person do the job? What is God's job? Well, I'd like to suggest that his job is to rule the universe. I'd like to suggest that God's job is to hold all things together in him. We live, we move, we have our being. God's job is to bring about a plan of restoration uh, and redemption so that we can have a relationship with him. Is God competent at his job? Well, I think Jesus Christ, when he got to the end of his time, 33 odd years on this planet, hung on the cross and said, it is finished. That was his declaration that I am competent. I have finished my job. Salvation is given to man. Salvation is given to every person. In that 33-year period, he brought together all of earth's history and every person that's ever existed and every person that would ever be born since that moment and offer a path of salvation. God is competent. God is competent to heal. God is competent to speak direction into your life. God is competent to bring life into every relationship, into every area of your heart. Can we put a tick next to that one? Amen? You're too scared to say no, but let's go with it. The third thing that we look for is chemistry. Does that person fit in the team? Can they relate to other people? Can they be an active team member? Can people relate to them and connect with them? We look for that in the center point context, and I'm sure that you look for that in the leadership context here at Lift Church as well. Why? Because we want to do life together. Is God relatable? He didn't have to be. But the fact that he chose to put Jesus Christ 
on this planet, born as an infant, raised as a boy, growing into a man, living, eating, drinking amongst us, that he was able to have relationship, dialogue, he was able to fit into a culture, uh, that he was able to communicate a message that is so relevant to the time that he preached it and yet so timeless that even today his Sermon on the Mount is just one example, is being re-preached time and time again. It is considered the greatest speech of all time, not just by Christians, but even secular magazines like Time Magazine recognize that. Jesus Christ, can I suggest is incredibly relatable. Why? Because he wants relationship. He wants connection. I love how Sandy uh, ministered to us and spoke about trusting in God, that he is a personable God, that he knows every single heart and every single situation. God is relatable. I'd like to suggest that God meets the characteristics that we need to say we trust you because he passes his risk assessment. But that scripture that we started off with at the beginning, it doesn't end there. It actually goes on to another part. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. The second point, if you want to trust God, is that you need to doubt yourself. You need to question yourself. You need to recognize that you don't have all the answers. You need to stop believing in yourself. But Pete, that is the opposite thing than what Oprah would say. She always tells us to believe in ourselves. She always says that we're never to question or doubt ourselves, but to have faith in ourselves. Now, I love Oprah. I do love Oprah, and I understand what she is saying. In terms of our value and our significance to God and His kingdom, never doubt that. In fact, uh, I guarantee that you are more valuable and more significant than what you can possibly imagine right here, right now. That's not the doubting that I'm talking about. The doubting I'm talking about is doubt your perception of the world. Let's have a look at Jeremiah 17. This is my passage of scripture for the year. I felt God has downloaded that, so I'm going to share that with you as well. From verse 7. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and their confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried about the long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. What a beautiful metaphor for life. What an amazing thing that we can aspire to, that we would never dry up, that we would have uh, hope and strength and life in every season. There's nothing to fear. I would love that to be my life. Who would like that? Who wants that as their fridge magnet on the door? In fact, let's put it as a poster and put it on the back of the toilet door. Let's get that into our lives. That's what we want our life to look like. Amen? Fantastic. Let's read verse 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. And desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? There are some times that I wish that we could cut and crop scripture. Let me explain this another way. I was sorting through our house recently doing some decluttering as as needs to be done after a whole year of kindy artwork and year one uh, artwork and letters and all this stuff that's been written and so we're doing this secret call at night and I'm not sure if the kids can hear so I'm just going to speak softer just for that little moment there and so we donated them uh, to the recycle bin but as I was going through not all of them we kept a couple uh, and we dumped those on grandparents for their birthdays this year but as we were going through I found this letter that our now seven-year-old son Judah had written, if we could just put that slide up, uh, that would be great. It's a song for mummy, and it goes like this. Mummy loves meth. 
Now, I understand that in this place that you may not know my wife, but I have never known her to be a drug user. In the, how, how many years we've been together? 13 odd years, 11 years of marriage, uh, years of friendship before. I've never known her to, to take drugs. And so I was slightly concerned when I came up across this letter, across this song that Judah had specifically written to his mum. And so I took the evidence and I walked into the bedroom and I said, Dora, is there something that you need to tell me? The words that she spoke, I won't repeat to you today because I can't remember them. <laughs> Let's just cover that. When, I, when she's not here, I can preach it a little bit more intensely, but I, I also want us to leave this place with a strong relationship in place. But basically what I had done was I'd found this, this song and found these words, and I had deliberately cropped it. Now, I haven't given you the unedited version because I like this version better. But basically the song goes like this. Mummy loves me, this I know, uh, for the Bible tells me so, and then starts to talk about how beautiful mum is, and generous, and kind, and loving mum is. Uh, unfortunately, the me and the this became a uh, mess, um, and I exploited that. <laughs> now, you judge me, but sometimes we do this with scripture. We shorten it, we crop it, we take our snapshot, and we put that as our fridge magnet, and we take that as our life. Jeremiah 17, bless those who trust in the Lord, confidence in Him. Verse 9, the human heart deceptive, bad, wicked. How does that fit together? I believe that what God is saying is He's saying that you cannot trust your perception. You cannot trust the way that you see the world because you and I do not have a perfect viewpoint. We don't have the perfect vantage point to be able to judge uh, really the world as it is. Isaiah 55, verse 8 to 9, God himself says this, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Standing at the edge of that cliff, my heart pumping. Everything in me is saying this is not a good idea. Gravity works. I've seen it time and time again in all of my life. I've never seen someone drop something and it go upwards. It always goes downwards. And it always goes down pretty fast. And particularly when a human body uh, jumps off a five to uh, seven to nine to 11 meter cliff. That's going to go down pretty fast. And everything in my mind is going, this doesn't make sense. I shouldn't be doing this. I'm going to injure myself. I don't think it's a great idea. But other people have done it. And they have jumped. And they have landed. And they've been fine. They've been exhilarated. There was this wrestle between what I know and the way that I'm seeing the world. Same thing with us in life. How do you see your family? How do you see your church? How do you see your workplace? How do you see your kids? How do you see that, that relationship? How do you see your finances? I would like to suggest that if we are trying to trust God with these areas of our life, that we actually need to let go of what we think we know. Our judgment is based on our experiences, our understanding, our knowledge, and it's not a complete picture. To trust God is as much to put our trust in Him as it is to surrender the way that we see the world. The third thing that we need to do is we actually need to take the leap. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. All your, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Uh, lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. It's to include God 
in your heart, to include God in your life. If I can get the worship team to come and join me right now, that'll be fantastic. We actually need to jump off and take the leap if we're going to experience the life and the freedom of God. Standing at the edge of this cliff, looking out, I knew that I was never going to experience all that I was supposed to experience or all that I was encouraged with great force to experience unless I actually moved my body from the place of safety to the place of the unknown. Today there are people here and you actually need to take a step of faith. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in finances. Maybe it's in a workplace. So to take a step of faith is not always what we think it is. Sometimes we think to take a step of faith is to quit our job and to go for a new one. When in fact, if we actually listen to what God is saying, the step of faith is to stay planted and to stay connected. Despite the chaos that might be going on in the world around, to stay set on the rock, on the revelation that Jesus Christ is Lord. To trust in Him. To come back to that place where we hear His voice, where we know His heart. And we say, God, we believe that you're a good father. God, we believe that you are able. God, we believe that you are competent. God, we want to acknowledge you. Not just have you as a sort of tag along in our life, but to completely trust you, to completely include you in every area of our heart and every area of our life. For me, this rubber hit the road when I was working part-time. Uh, so I'm working full-time as an accountant and I've been offered the opportunity to take on a part-time job at church. Now, this church job had been something I dreamed about. God had put it in my heart since I was young and, and passionate about it and praying for it and believing for it. And basically what had happened was I was working one day a week at church. I'd been offered two or three days and I was working four and a bit days at another workplace doing accounting. And financially we were in a, a good place because of it, but we needed it because we just built a house. We just had a baby. Uh, we were trying to work out, you know, how we're going to make forward progress and how we're going to step into all that God has for us, how do we manage business and church and, 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 uh, and family and uh, how we're navigating this whole new season of life. But one thing I, I knew was that we needed to have finance, right? We needed to be able to provide. I needed to provide for my family. But the problem was that um, this was becoming no longer sustainable and Dora with, uh, gently challenged me. She said, Pete, I think you need to pray about this and get a word from God. And so I remember, I remember going into uh, a room of a house, shutting the doors and just praying. And while I was praying, God showed me this really clear, vivid picture. And it was this picture of me gripped on to the side of a cliff, holding on for dear life. My fingers, you know, in that place that I was just bent over and gripping on, right knuckled. And, uh, and below me was this incredibly vast open valley with bushland underneath. It was hundreds of kilometers out that you could see. And it, it felt like a couple of kilometers down as well. It was just a magnificent viewpoint. But I was terrified as I gripped onto the side of that cliff, not wanting to let go, not wanting to trust. And in that moment of prayer, God spoke to me and said, Pete, you need to surrender your life. You need to surrender these areas of control. You need to surrender the ability to provide to your family because that's my job before it's yours. And I remember going, God, this is a big call because if I get this wrong, it's not like I've got a, a backup job. I mean, I need full-time work. I don't have a backup part-time job to go to. 
I'm trusting you with this if I go ahead with it. And I was still pondering on it, even though it had such a clear picture. The next day I went to my accounting work and I checked the news website first thing in the morning and there was this picture uh, on the screen and it looked a little bit similar to the picture that I'd saw the other day. I clicked on it and a video opened up. And the video was of this guy Sorry, let me just hold off before I get to that part. I forgot to say another detail. In this vision that I had with God, I saw myself eventually letting go. And I swung out from the cliff uh, on a bungee rope uh, type thing. And I unclipped myself from the bungee rope as I swung all the way out, clipped onto a hand glider and soared over the valley. And it was this great sense of release and freedom and hope. Fast forward, the next day, I click on this video. And I see this video, this guy that does a run-up, unlike me, he wasn't gripped to the side of the cliff, but he just does this run-up about 15, 20 metres, jumps off the end of a cliff on the Blue Mountains, uh, and seeing that beautiful uh, bush valley and, and that huge, um, you know, beautiful landscape there, and he jumps out and he swings out on a rope, he unclips himself, gets onto a hand glider, and soars right over the valley. Now, there are some times that you question if God has spoken to you, and there's sometimes that you know. There was no question that I knew that God was speaking. And that was the day that I put my resignation in to a great workplace with wonderful bosses that loved and supported and, and paid me well. And said, God, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I know that you do. You see, it's one thing to say that I trust God. And it's one thing to doubt whether I'm doing the right thing. It's a whole other thing to say, God, I'm actually going to put that into action. You know, today, I sense that there are people that have prayed into this year and God has spoken to you. Or you felt this challenge on the inside. Or you felt this desire on the inside. Maybe there's something more. Maybe there's something I should be doing. Maybe there's something that I feel like I want to quit, but I should be staying in. But it doesn't mean anything until we actually take the leap. What does the leap look like for you? What does that challenge look like? I'm going to ask us just to stand in this moment, in the presence of God. And if you'd just be comfortable to close your eyes, because I, I believe that God wants to challenge, God wants to speak into your hearts today. Jesus, we thank you that you are trustworthy. And in this moment, we pray over every situation, every area of our heart, Maybe things that we haven't even been aware of that we may not have been fully trusting you in. We pray that you bring that to the surface right here in this moment in your presence. Areas that we've held back. Areas that we've wanted to quit but we know that you've called us to stay. Relationships that you want us to build. Next steps. Maybe it's the steps from going on the outside of a community like this and stepping in. Maybe it's joining a connect group. Maybe it's a lift group. Maybe it's uh, stepping into a, a volunteer opportunity. Maybe it's stepping out to be part of O-Day. Maybe it's something grander like a move or a shift. What is God speaking to you about today? What makes your heart beat? What makes you think, God, you must be in this, but I'm terrified. But I want to speak into those parts today. Holy Spirit, give us courage and give us boldness. Help us to fully trust you, to surrender our will 
and our plans into your hands. You are trustworthy. You are faithful. Father, over areas of finance, areas of finance where you're trusting God, or you, you're, you're worried about finances, you're, you're believing God for finance, you're believing God for financial breakthrough, maybe it's with a job, maybe it's uh, personal finances, maybe you're up to your neck in debt and, and, and you're going, God, I need to trust you in this, but I don't know how to surrender it. It's just overwhelming. The fear is overwhelming. Today is the day to actually say, God, I trust you. I surrender my heart and I believe that you're going to call me to take the next step. since there are two people on opposite ends of the spectrum today one that you need to actually put in your resignation and look at taking a new step of faith in workplace and you've been thinking about it you've been tossing in your mind should I do this, should I not but you know that God has spoken to you and this is just a confirmation of that which he's spoken to and this week is the week this week is the week to trust Him, to believe God for Him. And yet there's someone else here today, and you've wanted to leave a situation. you wanted to leave maybe a workplace or a volunteer place or somewhere, somewhere that you've been involved in. You're just like, ah, oh, it's just too much. It's just too much. And God is the same Father is speaking the same thing but opposite. Your step of faith is to commit. Your step of faith is to be faithful in the place that I've planted you. And to make that resolve. No longer, am I going to quit? Am I not? Am I going to bounce this around as an option? No, you've heard from God. And again, this is a confirmation to stay planted. And that is your leap of faith today. Father, we pray for that. Every area. Every, every area of our heart. We surrender to you today. We surrender to you today. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. I'm going to hand over to, to Sandy, who's going to invite us to, uh, to respond in prayer today. But before we finish, uh, thank you so much for the privilege of uh, speaking with you today. And of course, the one thing that you're all wanting to know, I did jump off that cliff with no light and by myself. And I survived. And God is faithful and God is good. Sandy, I'm going to hand back to you. Thank you again. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.